Hello, friends. This is Matt. I wanted to share something with you before we start this episode. Uh, some good news and some bad news. Well, maybe not bad news, but less good news. Let's call it that. Uh, first of all, I wanted to thank all of you who have stuck with us while uh, I have done a little catch-up work and gotten a few extra episodes under my belt so that the uh, editing schedule isn't so... Um, Oh, hurried and, and, and harried for me. But um, uh, the good news here is that I've got enough episodes recorded now that I feel very comfortable with going back to our weekly schedule. So if you have continued to listen through these weeks, uh, thank you for that. And if you're just picking us up now, hey, go on back and, and, pick and uh, listen to some of those episodes that maybe you haven't heard before, because the Bible really does build upon itself, and it's really important to know what came before so that you know what's coming next and understand what's coming next. Now, the less good news is that you're going to notice that this episode kind of ends rather abruptly, and that is because of a technical issue. As I was editing this episode, I noticed that a portion of it had been lost. Uh, we use Skype to to talk uh, between the four of us, and uh, those recordings only get kept for so long before they're gone, and when I went to edit this episode, I noticed that some of it was missing, went back to to look at it, see if I could download it again and get it all, and it was already gone. Uh, but uh, the good the good thing in that, though, is that there's really not much that we uh, didn't get in here, so you're not going to miss out on a lot. But I just wanted to explain that before we get going. So that's if you see that the episode is a little shorter, that's why. Uh, but we're not really missing out on a whole lot. And uh, at the end of the episode, I'll kind of just fill you in on the last few details. So with that, let's go ahead and get into this episode right now. We will give it to God and allow God to do what God does with it, whatever that is. Okay, now that's where I get uncomfortable. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. Actually, this is episode 90 of the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. Uh, joining me today, we've got Tracy. Good morning. We've got Eric. Good morning. And we've got Karen. Hello. Karen down in Kentucky, getting all settled in, looking for new work and getting new work and exciting times. And it's a, it's a pretty gorgeous fall day. You were talking, Karen, about how nice it is down there. Mm -hmm. It looks... I, mean, I haven't been outside, but uh, it looks like it's pretty nice here. The sun is shining, blasting right in the window that I'm staring out, and uh, I have to keep raising my 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 blinds so that I can uh, still see my screen here in front of me. But um, yeah, it's uh, the, 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 well, shoot, we just had the the official turnover of summer to fall, and it's always funny here in Colorado. And I don't know how it is down there, Karen. Maybe you haven't been there long enough to find out, but it's like it seems like you could snap your fingers and it's and it's that's how quickly the the seasons change here it's like it's like not only do we have a date to know it but it's like one day it's 90 degrees and then the next day you're you're kind of wishing you would have put more put on some pants instead of shorts to go to work and <laughs> you know <laughs> but, well it seems like so far so far it seems like it's a kind of a slow transition here um, maybe about as slow as the hiring pace of the place I'm going to start work sometime in the next <laughs> five years. Um, but yeah, no, it seems like it's just easy, just kind of eases into like they, I, I downloaded a planting guide for this area since I've never planted here before. And it said to expect the last frost to be around October 19th or the first frost to be around October 19th. Oh, wow. Right. And wow. so, like, it, there's just a longer, slower change of season into fall as it cools off. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I would kind of like those. I, I think I would maybe like those slower transitions. Well, except for when it's coming out of winter, because I really like when it just stops being cold. I hate the winter. I don't, I've, I've grown to like fall more as an adult than I did as a kid, because as a kid, mm -hmm. I was all about summer. And then as I get older, I'm like, I don't like that hot so much anymore. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of nice, but uh, I, I do like, I do like fall or autumn however you want to call it but uh, uh it is kind of nice having the 
having the change of the seasons. Let's get into our discussion today. We are going to talk be talking about King Hezekiah today. Now, we, and this is going to be through Second uh, Kings chapter eighteen and Second Chronicles twenty nine through thirty one. Uh, now, Second Kings. I think we'll just start with Second Kings, and I mean, you guys can bounce back and forth if you like. But um, I didn't find it very easy to do a lot of bouncing back and forth because Second Kings kind of gives us this quick little overview of everything that has you know hezekiah's reign where second chronicles then comes in and gives a broader perspective but i didn't really see a whole lot of overlap in the information that was given between the two of them king hezekiah he ta- he started his reign in what would be the third year of king hoshea of israel now interestingly king hoshea of israel then is going to be the last king of israel and we're going to find out uh, here just in a couple of verses down in Second Kings um, what happens there. Because basically Israel, this is where Israel just disappears. We don't get a whole lot of um, information here about it. But but uh, this is, uh, Hosea is the last, is basically the last king of Israel. Now Hezekiah, he does pretty good. He lasts for 25 years as king in Judah. Or actually, I'm sorry, he was 25 years old, right. and he reigned for 29 years. There we go. And his mother is, I think her name is pronounced Abby, A-B-I. And I think that because way back in high school, I, t- I dated a girl named Abby, and that was the way she, she uh, spelled it. So I'm going to call her that. And she was a daughter of a guy named Zechariah, which we've, which Zechariah, there's been a lot of them. But anyway, this is his, his mother. So then I was looking at that. Mm-hmm. And while, like I said, this week has been a lot of just doing Bible study and looking at some outside resources when I'm walking and listening and that kind of thing. But you see his, his father, terrible leader away from from God, totally, mm-hmm. totally took uh, uh, Judah down a, another another path away from God. Yeah, I did. So it he basically it starts off by saying, you know what, he's going to make a transformation. And we've seen this a lot before, is that the first thing they do is they go to the high places and they start tearing down all their worship of false gods. Mm-hmm. Um, but in two, I was looking through there and they mention his mother. And I think at this point they give a lot of um, a lot of, you know, in a, in a way praise to her because his male influence wasn't that great. So I think when, when you see that a lot of these other ones that they said they went down and they started off being with the Lord and they tore down those high places, I think that's because of their influence and in, in rearing of their mothers. It does seem that way. A lot of times you see, when you see the, the mothers pointed out that um, immediately after that, they start describing, you know, how well, how well they acted as leader and whether or not they did right with God. And, um, you know, I, I mean, our mothers are a huge influence in us. Even I, I, you know, all of us grew up in a time where it was be more likely that the mother would be a stay at home mom. If she was a stay at home mom, you didn't have a, too many stay at home dads in, in our, uh, times of growing up. And so mothers are, a, they're just a gigantic influence on our lives as we, as we get as we grow. So, uh, I think it probably is part of the reason that the mothers get, maybe they get some credit here. Uh, not, not just as we've said that they're, uh, it's just a way to keep track of them because of all the wives that these Kings would have, but also just the influence that, that the mothers would have over them because we are told that Hezekiah did right. And I mean, this is after, well, yeah, after King Ahaz and Ahaz was just, he was just bad, 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 bad. And uh, and then when when Hezekiah gets on here, he he gets in, he removes those high places. That's one of the first things that gets talked about, because in a lot of these kings that we've talked about before, they would do a lot of things to try to get rid of some of the idolatry, but they wouldn't knock down those high places. And here this is this is one of the the first things that's mentioned for Hezekiah is he he starts taking down high places. He breaks down sacred pillars it says he cut down, uh, at least in the King, New King James, it's talking about how he cut down the wooden image. And it seems like this is probably an image of Asherah, 
Uh, and I'm wondering how prominent this was for them to refer to it as the wooden image. I'm wondering if it was something that had been right there in Jerusalem, even maybe. Well, I think you look at his father, and he had pretty much implemented that they broke away and they were worshiping false gods. So I'm mm-hmm. sure it began to be, you know, pretty prevalent. And you know, maybe this was a focal point. Yeah. Well, he gets he gets right to it. Hezekiah gets to this, and it's you're right. It, it starts off that he did right. Uh, a couple things with that. One is that um, each of them, each of these kings, had their own choices to make you know the, hezekiah couldn't say well that's just the way my dad was so ah, couldn't help it that's just the way i was brought up no hezekiah does what hezekiah does and he does right flash forward his son does what is wrong um so mm-hmm. n- nobody gets an inherited relationship with god now we can set examples and i think that's absolutely crucial as parents and to teach but ultimately Everybody makes their own choices, and Hezekiah makes his choice. Of, just a, a little aside here, in verse 3, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. So as we're reading Old Testament stuff here like this, we just have to keep in mind that sometimes when it says his father, they mean his his ancestor. Right. So sometimes it's it's easy to get lost in the timelines if you're like, wait a minute, what? His father was who? What mm-hmm. I find really interesting is that, one, like like uh, you all have said, is that he did go after the high places. And it's interesting, every other king before this, even the ones who said who did right, it says, but they didn't go after the high places. Which is really interesting, because it's kind of like, well, I'm going to do 90% right. And Hezekiah is like, nope, I'm going to just take the needle. I'm going to turn it up to, you know, to 10 here, and we're going to just do the whole deal. And then he goes and kind of turns it up to 11 in in verse 4 he said he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until these days the people of Israel had made offerings to it oh. it was mm-hmm. called Nehushtan. Yep. it's interesting that this this thing and this is like one of the few places that it is mentioned this has been apparently going on oh, how long i mean the, the, Moses made this bronze serpent before they got into the promised land. Yep. This is before mm-hmm. the time of the of the uh, of the judges. It's before Saul, before David. I mean, man, when did this transition happen? And, and I know there's a you guys may or may not remember this, but there was a, um, a Christian singer named Michael Card. And, and there yeah. was a lyric in one of his songs where it says they idolized this serpent i don't remember exactly the lyrics as some idolize a golden cross today which is to say the symbol that was god given that was in fact meaningful and did have a purpose we as human beings have the ability to take the right thing and do the wrong thing with it right mm-hmm and just to kind of jump in there with Eric, it's that's this is the first time that we hear about that serpent since Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the only time that's given a name like that, too. I had to I was curious. and I had to look it up and it basically just means the word basically just means something made out of bronze. So they weren't very uh, uh, creative with naming it. But, well, um, it's here in my footnote that, it, that apparently it's kind of a play on words. Nehushtan sounds like the Hebrew for both bronze and serpent oh interesting okay so that is interesting because i was reading some notes in my bible were saying that it may have started to get uh some relation to asherah because there was a lot of of uh serpent imagery in the worship of asherah so not only had it been um being misused but now it seems like it had maybe even been uh misappropriated (laughs) if i'm using the right word go ahead karen so I've got this Bible that has, um, you know, a bunch of scholars got together and estimated what they thought was the most likely timeline using various, you know, markers from history to figure it out. Either markers from history or from the Bible or from secular societies around the nations or whatever. So Numbers 21 is where it talks about Moses making the bronze serpent. And so this timeline in the Bible says that was around BC 1452. Now we're in second Kings 18. Yeah. Am I in the right place? 
Yeah. And it says BC 726, which is exactly half of that. Wow. Wow. That is a lot of centuries of offering incense. Yeah, is my math right? Wrong. Around seven hundred years. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It's yeah. it's half of it. It's exactly yeah. half of it. Yeah. yeah if my yeah. math is right. You know, but I, once it always it takes us back to, you know, especially to the reference of you know, um, his father David is that that relationship that God had with David and trying to reestablish that. And then, too, with the serpent, it's like, almost like Eric said, using something good that had, had a deeper meaning that they just went away from. It's like you're you're failing to see, once again, it has nothing to do with the serpent. Them being, you know, um, bitten and, and stung and killed, ultimately, you know, dying out there in the desert because of the serpents. And it was just more look to God. And they lost that along the way. And I think Hezekiah is just trying to reestablish that. And, and it's like, you know what? At this point, just break it. Yeah. I'm going to break all the ties that we have to us trying to be like other nations. And let's just get rid of it. Even though it's a relic and it's an artifact of, of our history, it's just we're not getting it. We don't really understand the meaning or that we've, you know, they, they've lost the understanding of it. Um, my son, when he was little, he's an interesting creature. He personally would like to be free of all rules. Thank you very much, because he can manage himself. Hmm. And yet he wants everyone around him to be very strictly guided by rules so that he can predict what they're going to do. Right. And so as a child, one of the ways that this would come up is we would, as a family, do something that he liked. And he would find himself doing this thing and he would be enjoying himself and he would be feeling happy. And so afterwards he would come to me and he would say, we have to make that a rule, right? <laughs> we, we, we have to do this. We have to do this every Friday or every Sunday or every Wednesday night, or like he wanted to make it a predictable thing. And isn't that just, a, I mean, as a little kid, it was kind of like this funny idiosyncrasy that he had, but isn't that like what we do with worship? Like, here comes this sincere moment that's based here and now and is important because of what's going on here and now. And we immediately try to turn it into something else in, that is a formula that we can replicate anytime we want to. And then we get stuck on the formula rather than the original thing. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. Oh, yep. yeah. Go humanity. We're so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, even as I was reading this, it was just kind of a. You're like, wow, they still have that thing. Yeah. Uh, that was, that and was, that was and they're offering incense to it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, it's like it is the thing. No, it is not the thing that healed you. The faith of going to look at it is what he, oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just that's the theme for, for what happens here in in um, Second Kings. Uh, Assyria shows up, and there's a, um, a, rule, a, a commander called Sennacherib. Um, that's what I, that's how I'm going to say his name, or Sennacherib, however you want to say it. Uh, we'll let mm -hmm. you do that. And he shows up from Assyria, and he he takes down Israel. There's been, um, as I recall, I'm not sure. I think Israel was under siege. You may see that somewhere else. But basically, the king of Assyria through Sennacherib, yeah, he says it was besieged it in verse nine. And the prophets have been saying this is going to be very, 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 very bad. It took three years to do that, the siege, but then he, he took it. And the Israelites of the 10 tribes, generally speaking, the 10 tribes, because later we find out that there's um, two other of the 10 that kind of joined Judah, are taken away to Assyria. And Assyrian people are put in um, Israel. And I was reading uh, some other sources this week on this, and it brought up the fact that Israel itself was never a discrete kingdom again, ever, mm. right? Ever, yeah. And Judah got some semblance of um, self autonomy back, and Jews were uh, moved back into Judah. Um, skipping ahead to Nehemiah and so on, but um, that didn't happen with the 10 tribes, it is a done thing and i was like wow that is that's final i mean that's a really mm -hmm. final thing that the author of kings and chronicles 
don't really make a big note of that because at this point, Israel, um, the, the ten tribes and Judah going into captivity, they don't really see the other end of this. They're all just going and there's either we're all, none of us are coming back or we're all coming back, but uh, history shows that the Israelites didn't. And then we have this really interesting, I guess, view. I'm not really sure how else to say this, is that Sennacherib comes up and he's he's going to start the siege of Jerusalem. And they, they've got a commander, and I don't know if this is a, just a title or a name, in verse in chapter Second Kings eighteen, verse nineteen, and the Rabshak or Rabshaka, I don't know how to say that one either, said to the people in Israel, "Thus says the king of Assyria, Assyria." And basically, he says, "Your God can't save you. Take take my word for it. Your God can't save you. Not only that, but you're doing it wrong. You know, you mm-hmm. you guys ruined all the idols." And it was the idols that were going to protect you. And the people in Jerusalem are thinking, uh-oh, what's going to happen here? Because he says, and this is, this is pretty bold too. He, shows, he says in verse 25, moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? What he's saying is, God sent me. I'm doing God's work. You're worshiping God wrong. And you're about to fall. And don't let Hezekiah tell you that the way he wants to worship God is the right way, because I will squash you like a bug. Yeah, that was a very interesting way for him to come along and say that. <laughs> how, how, you know, here he is coming to, you know, the chosen people, if you will. I mean, I guess they're not so much if you will. I mean, these were the chosen people and telling them that, you know, they're not got their God won't save them and that they're yeah, they're doing it wrong. It was uh but I think it, it also demonstrates how far they've fallen, that they yeah. did accomplish what they wanted to and, and being seen just like any other nation. You know what? All these other gods were protecting you, mm-hmm. and you because you went away from your first true love, if you want to break it down that way. And um, and I think Hezekiah, this was a bold step for him because he is making a total 180 away from his father because yeah. he was paying tribute to Assyria. Yeah. It was giving them money, basically. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, that's not happening anymore. I'm relying totally on God, not my military might, because I know that that didn't fare well. You know, we we lost our fortified cities. And I think I was looking at an outside source, too. And I think they that. Um, I don't know. Eric's right too. Sincherub maybe um, claims that he, you know, he captured 46 walls of Judea. All their fortified places, you know, so I think Hezekiah is now boldly looking towards the Lord only and saying, you know what, only you can help us make this transition back to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and this Sennacherib? Sennacherib. Sennacherib. Okay, we'll just call him Sennacherib. In <laughs> verse 31, he says, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. So this is really, ultimately, this is in my opinion, the story of the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. The world, be it Satan or the people in it, say, no, you make your deal with me and I'll take care of you. And yeah. God says, no, you are to lean on me and I will take care of you. That's the, that's the binary choice. There's a lot of things that we'll talk about like, well, it's kind of hard to tell. Maybe this is a little bit gray and how this applies. But this is the most binary of the choices in the whole story of the Bible. God says, nope, you put all your eggs in my basket. And the world says what um, what he says, no, make your peace with me. It's yeah. true. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting how, I mean, you can see that shift here with Hezekiah where I think, you know, the whole time he's trying to do what's right and he's trying to do what's best for the people because, you know, we are told here that he he actually went and stripped some of the gold from the temple. I mean, basically, sounds like he basically emptied it, including, I think, taking gold off of the doors and mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff, you know, taking pieces of the of the temple. Um, I would, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Trying to, 
you know, trying to do what was right for the people and protect them by paying this tribute to Assyria. But, um, yeah, we do we do know that he eventually did uh, rebel against Assyria and said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. So now we're going to shift to Second Chronicles and we're going to get some some different information here. And I, I'm not exactly sure how it, how it all works out, if this is happening. A lot of this happening. I'm guessing a lot of it is happening while Assyria is trying to assert their authority, because it sounds like Assyria has been around for quite a while and, and trying to dominate here. But when we get into Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29, the, the story is very interesting to me because we're ta- it talks about how, I mean, he starts right away. He says the first year of his reign in the first month uh, starts out talk about how he starts to repair the temple specifically i think he said something about repairing the doors of the temple but he gathers priests and levites to come clean out the temple and it says to carry out the rubbish and when i'm reading this i'm thinking what what were they using the building for yeah i wondered that too you know had it had it just become like their their storage unit like oh what do we do with this junk let's uh i I don't know we got a building over there we're not using let's took them a week man yeah, it's 16 days to, to haul it out. And then I don't know how much that was junk hauling and how much of that was consecration, but it said it took them 16 days to do it. Yeah. I think yeah. that shows just how far they broke away. Well, yeah, I mean, he had to he had to specifically go get, get these guys together. So I was like, okay, what were they doing? They obviously weren't doing the job they were supposed to be doing. But, I mean, just the, just the idea that the temple had been filling up with – I mean, it sounds like filling up with garbage or just, yeah. you know, just junk. I, it's What a – so odd, so odd. <laughs> I mean, I think my my wife has been working pretty hard on cleaning out the office at our church because it, it we we don't have like you know we don't have a regular secretary or anything that uses that office, but that area has over time it kind of becomes a catch all where people people will bring in stuff from their house or like books and things that they don't want anymore. Well, somebody might want this and they'll drop it off in the office and then somebody has to take care of it. Well, Shannon's been uh, converting it kind of over into a library because, I mean, the books are they're worthwhile. But it's just, you know, that's kind of almost what it sounds like here. But but maybe amped up, you know, times 10 because it's just like, I don't know. It's baffling to me that you would use this building uh, just to store your unwanted stuff, your junk. Everybody's got a garage that has stuff in it that they just didn't know what else to do with. And I think... I mean, I, I, there were a few times where, at, when, as I was reading through this, where I was thinking to myself, this is, this is like Israel's garage or Israel's junk drawer. Like, odds and ends just got put here. Well, we'll do something with it later. I thought it was interesting that there were two phases. There was the clean out, right? There's the swamp out. And then mm-hmm. there's the reconsecration. Right, yeah. And this, this becomes, this is kind of an interesting idea. I've heard... And I, I was I thought of this as I was reading, it and I wondered what you guys think of this. I've heard of people consecrating their home to God. I've heard of people consecrating their land to God. Have you guys ever heard of that? Like, what do you think of that? Like, that kind of makes sense here because it is it was the temple. But I've heard of people doing this even now in modern day with their secular space like their personal space they consecrate it to god and they continue to do that we do that we we have um that's my business now is um leaning into real estate and um when we have a property we stand in that before it ever opens for business for rental and we say god this is yours we want to manage it the best that we can Hmm. but this is this belongs to you and we want to use it for your glory and for your purposes and that is yes we still do that now we don't have a we don't have a ceremony we don't have you know specific offerings or or things like that but we do set it aside and say this is yours now i believe that that is actually what god wants us to do with everything we go back and God wants, he claims the firstborn and we're supposed to purchase them back. Remember that goes all the way, way back to um, Moses sharing uh, God's laws off from Sinai. 
is that God says, no, the, the, the harvest is mine. The land is mine. Your children are mine. Your firstborn are specially mine. And so we have adopted that and it, it, it helps. Um, keep perspective for us that this is not ours it's god's and um so the answer to your question there you go but there's nothing but we don't have sacrifices or incense or anything like that that we do we we have a dedicatory prayer and um we do we set it aside and that's kind of what we do as well you know we say you know a blessing for it and you know give our our thanks for it and and to help us use it in that kind of you know, manner that only brings glory to God and that kind of thing. We, I think we kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it definitely makes you, you know, you're going to think twice about what you're going to do in those places and how you're going to, yeah, definitely how you're going to use it. And, and, uh, it's sort of, I mean, I can, can compare it probably to like a, a baby dedication, you know, where you say we're gonna we're gonna raise this kid, we're gonna raise this child to be a follower of you, and and we're going to do everything we can to um, help them along that that way. And so yeah, if you're gonna do it with your property, definitely is gonna make you think about how you use it, and how you, uh, yeah, how how you utilize it, and what you what you do there. You know, the Bible refers to a hedge of protection being put around people and places and things like that, that have been sort of earmarked or need to be reserved for for God. And I guess I thought of that as kind of that. Like, 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 like I said, like this is specifically the temple, but even if it wasn't the temple, you know, this is something that I think the average layperson can do with some prayers. Like, you know, come to God with this space in your life a physical space, an emotional space, a relationship, and say, I want this to be yours. Please put a hedge of protection around it and keep me within that hedge. I heard a sermon recently where they called it, and they were making an, um, an, a comparison to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. It was like, are you under the glory cloud? That's what they called it in the sermon. In fact, the sermon was called the glory cloud. And it was, and it was like, um, we talked about it here where, where the Israelites would get up in the morning and they would look toward the temple. And if the cloud and the pillar of fire, you know, fire by night cloud during the day was over the temple, then they stayed there. But when it lifted up, then they knew it was time to move. And that was literally what guided them. They got up and they looked at the cloud in the morning. Are we staying or are we going? And if the cloud lifted, then they packed their stuff up and they moved. And if the cloud stayed, then they stayed. That is the absolute guidance that this provided and so the pastor's you know reflective question following that and this goes along with the idea of consecrating your personal space to god was are you under the glory cloud you know you say that you articulate by being a christian and attending a church and trying to live a lifestyle and you know talking a talk you you say that you want to follow this are you actually consecrated are you under the glory cloud or do you say that you want to be and then you're over here, you know, going, well, what else can I do? Right. I'd really rather do this right now. I thought it was pretty good. And it, you know, it kind of makes you look at different aspects of your life and go, hmm, maybe do this with a little more intention, a little more prayer, a little more forethought during thought and afterthought, you know. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think for for listeners and to remind ourselves that it's it is easy to go from this, we will give it to God and allow God to do what God does with it, whatever that is. Okay, now that's where I get uncomfortable. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and shifting into a prosperity gospel where it is it's like, well, if it's God's, everything's going to go fine. May I remind you that, um, I say you, is like us, that that's not how it always turns out. We have... We have people doing what the right thing is. We'll, we'll flash forward to that here just a little bit, inviting people to participate with God's way, and they're not always well-received. Mm-hmm. And we have Jesus' own disciples who, you know, all but one met a martyr's death. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a we put it in God's hands and let him deal with it type of situation. And 
he does what he does. Again, we've referenced this before. This is the uh, three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in um, Daniel thing, standing before King Nebuchadnezzar saying, O king, we don't have to defend our ways before you, but we know our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to be loyal to him. And that's where it goes. And then we just take our hands off and we say, it's yours to do whichever way you want to, God. And then God does God's thing, which is very difficult to predict exactly what that's going to look like from our perspective. Yeah, that can get that can get to be a wild ride. Hey, look, I live in Kentucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was interesting. That really stood out to me. I I have even heard of contemporary people, you know, in modern day. Friend of mine did it recently. She was struggling with repeated nightmares that seemed to be of a satanic origin. And so people, she had some prayer people come in and we consecrated her house for the purpose of blocking whatever was infiltrating her when she was asleep and vulnerable. And, um, and it did not happen after that. So it made a tangible difference. Wow. I think that that's the, it's, it's making an intentional choice. Yeah. And sometimes we have to do like tangible things that are symbols to us. And here's where we get mixed up sometimes as we turn the yeah. symbol into the thing. Yeah. Hushdan comes to mind. But we need to be intentional. And that goes to Second Chronicles 29, 11. The king says, we're going to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. We're going to be intentional about this. And then he says, my sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be ministers and make offerings. He's saying, hey, let's be intentional about what we do. And they start doing all these things. The very last verse of 29 is really cool. And Hezekiah and the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. I just insert this. When had he not? Right. For the thing came about suddenly. Well, here's the deal. The people are working with God. God's been reaching out to them and reaching out to them and reaching out to them. And finally, the people say, hey, yeah, let's let's respond to God. Oh, yeah, right. All those things that we were supposed to do. We were supposed to pay the uh, the Levites, weren't we? to to minister let's start doing that again hey we were supposed to minister in the in out of this temple hey let's clean the junk out let's consecrate it let's take it seriously oh right we were supposed to do passover and they said wow shoot let's let's do that and so what they're doing is they're doing the next thing that they see in front of them that's the right thing basically what to karen's point they're following the cloud And I think that just goes along with, like we said in the very beginning when we started, it's making that 180 degree switch from what his father had done. Because if you look back um, just in chapter 28, it that's what it says. His father closed the temples. That's how far away they had strayed. He had closed the temples. And like we were saying before, it became just like a catch-all for any idolatrous thing, any idols that were there, they were throwing in there like a storage unit. They weren't mm-hmm. using it at all. Matter of fact, he even let the Levites go. He let all the, in 13 and 14, the sons of, is it Aspeth and Herman or Heman? Those were all uh, musicians. He had turned them all loose. It's like, we don't need you anymore. We're not mm-hmm. going to do this. And I thought it was interesting. This, this entire, and I'm just, I'm going to skip ahead a minute. I'm not going to stay there. We can go back to what we're talking about. But there was a verse that I thought was important. Because Hezekiah's heart is true, but not everything is done according to the Mosaic procedural law. Right, right? 2 Chronicles 30. Yeah, and and right down to like, they they get so excited about the reconsecration that they decide that they want it, they now they want to have the Passover, but they missed it by like a month or something. And so they decide to have the Passover. Not everybody has consecrated it. They're like, they're off, has consecrated themselves, not, you know, they're off schedule. And so in chapter 30, verse, where am I? 18, um, It says, although many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. 
Okay, here's the important part. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and he healed the people, right? Now, we can think of examples where the Lord does not waive the procedure. Right. In this case, he waives the procedure. He answers Hezekiah's prayer. And maybe that's because there was a specific request. I don't know. But the Mosaic law was like, that was ceremonial law. And Hezekiah just says, please pardon everybody. But I think too, we, and we've gone down this path before, is that the Lord says, you know what? I'm not interested in those ceremonial things. Yeah. I'm interested in your heart. Yeah, and right. I think in some of the other reading I was doing is that's what happened. That switch occurred and the people of Israel changed their 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 mindset and their frame and they were following God again. And I think what it says here is the Lord pardoned the sins of, of those that truly sought him. And that's what they were doing at this point in time. Yeah. I think this is this this needs to be said is that they were doing that Hezekiah could pray this because they had done all that they could do. See, this wasn't a matter of like, well, we could do the right thing, but we're not going to. We're just going to pray for God to make an exception for us. Th they had missed a calendar, like Karen said, they missed it on the calendar. Well, you can't wind back time. And, and they didn't want to miss the opportunity to do this. They're like, oh, man, we need to like we need to do the right thing here as best we can. And the best we can do doesn't fit within the actual rules and laws. But can we still do that is very different than, well, I know that God asked me to do A, B and C, but I don't really feel like doing that. I only mm -hmm. feel like doing A. And so I'm just going to let ask God to bless me for B and C, even though I could do it. I don't want to do it. Then we flash back to Cain and Abel's sacrifice where God accepts one, but not the other. Is It's important to note that they had done all that they could do. And God accepted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very much a that was the impression I was really getting from reading it. It was a, it was about they really had a desire to to worship here, and they kind of eagerly jumped into it without without maybe going through all the hoops, and uh, but because of their because they really had that honest that honest desire to 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 worship and uh, do something right that it was. It wasn't so important for them to to follow all of those rules. You know, and I think so, sometimes I it lies within the effort. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's sometimes that phrase, and I don't know if it's if I'm going to say it right, but God helps those that help themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, too, when you turn around from where they were at to making this this bold decision, I think that it's looked at favorably. Yeah, so as they're, let me just back up briefly here, as they're, as they're, ta they're uh, bringing back the temple worship, something that it was just interesting to me. Of course, there's all the sacrifices we've seen. We've seen before where the kings will institute these gigantic sacrifices. And uh, I think we, we even talked once upon a time where it almost seems like, um, you know, these become almost like a, a big party for everybody. And that's why so many sacrifices are able to be done because... Because uh, we remember that um, they didn't just waste those animals; they would get eaten and whatnot. But um, but anyway, what I'm what I want to get to here, and I just found this sort of interesting, is the music in the temple. Now, Tracy, you and I specifically, I know we drew, we grew up in a congregation uh, where where the type of music that was played was was considered really kind of important. And here they're using, I mean, the first word being used, the first instrument used is cymbals. And the second one is stringed instruments. Can you, Tracy, imagine us growing up and having cymbals be accepted? And uh, uh, even guitars were barely accepted in that congregation. Uh, it is, uh, can, you, can you imagine this ceremony, anything remotely like this ceremony when we were growing up? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's why that's so funny to me. And I say funny. And of course, this is a different sort of service, I suppose you could say. But it's just it's funny to me how we sometimes uh, have gotten hung up on on certain styles of music when we worship and and thinking, you know, I've come to a point in my life where I've understood that if I'm not if I'm not enjoying the worship, then I'm not really worshiping. And, and you know, as time progresses, different styles of worship have, have, uh, have taken, taken hold in, in, in different parts of Christianity. And, um, and it's just funny to me because this isn't the only place in the Bible you read that it's like worship music was more celebra- celebratory than sometimes we, uh, we we are willing to admit i think that christianity itself has gone through phases and that the 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 worship music that is approved for public worship not private worship and people have their own musical tastes and they listen to kind of whatever they want and there's certainly a wide variety of christian music out there but public christian worship becomes a reflection of like the generational demands like some people and some generations have approached worship from a very somber and staid and steady perspective and the feeling no let me rephrase that and the sensation that music might stir your feelings or make you want to sway or or lift you into a state of joy feels risky and it feels like Right, it go. It flies in the face that your sense of worship should be somber and sober and submissive. Is that the right word? Humble, like you're taking a low position, right? And then mm-hmm. other people are like, "No, joy. This is joy, right?" And they want a song that lifts them and makes them want to throw their hands in the air, and it's it, it's it becomes their own personal expression, and this takes a generational flavor and it takes on the flavor of era as as the secular music changes so does the religious music and the the styles of music integrate into each other and because it's a familiar sound to this group of people like you can listen for the most part you can listen to you know good old rock and roll or good old pop music and you can tell you know within 30 seconds of listening to a song you can tell somebody what era it came from right Mm-hmm. And that's and and religious music goes right along with that. Okay, so people have lots of opinions, and they want what feels proper and right to them to be reflected in public worship, and they can become very opinionated about that and lose sight of the fact that somebody else's personal feeling of what's right and proper might lead them to a completely different conclusion about what should be done for public worship. And there was there was one time where. Um, the local church I was in was having a great debate about this kind of thing. And my mother had the audacity to ask a very important question. I wonder what God thinks of our music. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we don't really have a way to answer that question, but it's an interesting thought. And shamefacedly, we lose sight of that in our quest to have our personal feelings taken care of at the local worship service. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you, Matt. If you're not worshiping, the difference is in your heart. It's not in what is being played before you. Mm -hmm. And that said, you know, um, groups, groups need to relax and make room for the people around them. The idea of coming before God with reverence and awe is completely appropriate. The idea of coming before God with dancing and celebration is completely appropriate. All of those things are appropriate. Mm -hmm. He deserves all of that. And unfortunately, that is where the recording uh, dropped off for us. Now, like I said, we're not going to miss a whole lot here. The gist of what is left is essentially chapter 31 of Second Chronicles. And really, I mean, it really is just kind of a recap of the things we've already talked about. Hezekiah has uh, really just been trying to do a good job of restoring all of the things that had been lost, reestablishing the priests and the Levites, uh, taking down 
all of the images and the pillars and the high places. Um, he set up some portions of his possessions for offerings. He commanded the people of Jerusalem to tithe in support of priestly ministry. So that is kind of an important thing where uh, we get to the concept of tithing in order to support ministry. Uh, that's the way it works. I know in my denomination, I'm not sure how it works in everybody else's, but where we have a separation between tithes and offerings, where tithes go specifically for supporting ministry, paying pastors and whatnot, and then our offerings go towards uh, usually the local church budget. So just kind of a little difference there. Um yeah, that's that's not a there's not a lot left there in the in the uh, chapter that uh, that we missed out on. So um, it basically ends up that Hezekiah did right and he prospered, and we're going to see in the weeks to come uh, why that is so important to this nation of Judah as the nation of Israel is disappearing and Judah basically gets uh, an extended uh, a reprieve. So um, thanks for listening to us. And uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, we will resume our weekly uh, episodes at this point um, <laughs> until I get behind again. But, uh, but again, thank you for, for sticking with us. And um, next week we will be looking at the book of Hosea chapters 1 through 7 and while you're waiting for that be sure that you look for us on Facebook share the podcast with your friends family and neighbors remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org and we all look forward to talking to you again next time thanks for listening